You're listening to the Detroit is Different After Dark Podcast Network. What's going on? What's going on? We are back in effect for F What You Heard, the podcast. We're talking about everything you need to know as an independent music artist. This is Kari Frazier here with co-host Uncle P. Uncle P, how you feeling? What's good, brother? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. And this is something that Sabrina... Our sister in arms is unable to be here, but she said that's a great topic because she was having this discussion not too long ago. And this is still a discussion as I'm now an old head in this whole music game. I have this discussion all the time. I was having the discussion even before it became a discussion. When the last producer I worked with on two projects ago was like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? That don't even make sense. That don't even make sense. Let's get physical. We're talking about physical copies here. CDs, vinyl, or LPs or records and cassette tapes, physical copies of what your music is and what they mean. I think they're very important, still important, and one of the best tools you can have as a music artist. And I've been an advocate for that for a long, long, long time. Even back when, like I say, uh, my man Ian Sherman, shout out to Ian Sherman, the producer I was working with on my Notes of an Artist Activist Project, and that was back in 2009. And what he told me was, people don't buy CDs anymore. It's a dying medium. You should just sell straight MP3s. And I was like, hell no, bro. Hell no, bro. Mm -hmm. I need to sell CDs. So from like 2009 to about 2014, when everybody was looking at me like I was crazy for selling CDs, that was an artist. It was a lot of people copping those CDs. Hey, they still had CD players. Not only did they have CD players, it's a it's a physical memento. I think that a lot of people, you know, I've even seen it where people still sometimes send me the the pictures and everything. Right. I move. I know how many copies I move with the physical. I pressed up with my notes of an artist and activist. I pressed up. Let's see how many copies did I press up of that one. I pressed up over like over like a three year span, I pressed up maybe about two thousand. Okay. And of that two thousand I probably gave away maybe two hundred fifty for free, but I sold about sixteen, seventeen hundred. Okay. And that's a good tracking for me oh, especially because yeah. I'm selling them exactly. for ten dollars a pop. Right, right. Exactly. Oh how in what increments did you purchase those two thousands total in? Okay, well, I'm 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 giving you guys the game. The the place that I've been using for years, it's a website called Kunaki, kunaki.com. It is a Japanese-based website that you can actually buy DVDs. The strange thing is uh the the Kunaki came to prevalence because it was a lot of pornography makers that used it for DVD packaging. Mm. Okay. And they did also do CDs and stuff like that. So you can do a lot of stuff with Kugnaki. You have to know about graphic design. You have to know about mixing and mastering. It's one of those houses where they're not going to help you all the way through like right. a CD Baby could. Because right. I know CD Baby does that too. They're just going to manufacture. Yes. Ship Basically, out. you have to know what you're doing and deliver to them and then they will ship back. And you can buy in low increments or high increments. It's okay. no... It's no um, set minimum what you need to buy. You can buy one copy, which will cost you a whole lot. Right. Or you can buy 300 or whatever. I generally will buy either 25, 50, or 100. Okay. And that's how I would buy. And, and, and that's smart because I, I have this conversation a lot and a lot of people want to say it's dead. And, you know, is it the main 
form of no no not anymore but here's my thoughts on it it's all about inventory management you -hmm. know this is where your business comes in you know do you go and order five thousand just because you was able to get them for 10 cent cheaper no Mm -hmm. you don't know Mm -hmm. your audience you know get with something that you can manage you know it's all about keeping that bottom line in the black yeah definitely that that comes down to business and then also the game is different when when i'm buying and this is how i bought it was a couple stores i i gave my cd to and they sold okay like i sell ticket sales so spectacles here in detroit michigan if you're familiar with spectacles that was one of the places that sold some cds of mine pretty well uh, along with Spectacles, 90s Knowledge Cafe. Uh, but the record store itself is not as prevalent as it used to be. There are the not retro record stores that you go go to that sell a lot of vinyl, and they can sell. But from placement in stores, even if it's a non-traditional store, for your product to sell at the store, it has to be an incentive because the person that's really going to sell is going to be the person that works there. And it's not even probably going to be the owner or the manager, the person you negotiated with working your deal for. Generally, it's going to be co-signment. Right. So co-signment is an agreement where the record store is co-signing saying that, all right, we'll sell your CD for $10. Out of that $10, we're going to take, I don't know, let's say like we'll take $3 and we'll give you back 7 you gave us 15 CDs, you can come back and check how much inventory always exists and then get your money maybe every month or every week or every two months or whatever agreement you right. want. But for those products to move, a lot has the onus on who's in there actually selling the product. Yeah. You know, I worked at a record store here for years. And like I always say, I worked at Harmony House for a couple of years. It was a old record store that ended yeah, up folding into I remember FYE. I worked for Harmony House for a minute. Ain't that some shit? Yep, in Pontiac. Okay, okay. I worked at the one in Berkeley, like right next okay, to Okay, yeah, Lowe, I know Michigan. where that was. Yep. And I think that was like one of their flagship stores because they had like a big jazz collection mm-hmm. and everything. I learned more about the record business working in a record store then all the books I read, then so much of the the videos I've watched and documentaries and even talking to people because working in a record store, I really started understanding more about how the business works. works yeah. You know, yep. um, <coughs> I, I always tell this story vividly and it, it taught me like, oh, now I understand what shipping platinum means. So, it would be <clears throat> it would be like two weeks before the album would come out and then like we would have the the record stock in the back where they say, okay, the number one album in the country is gonna be Britney Spears two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that shit ain't even get released yet. Right. Orders. How's it how is it already that? And it's like, okay, because pre ordered. It was pre ordered and it's ship platinum. Yep. And generally like so for a big release like a Britney Spears in a, in a store. And, and it was a lot of science to this. And I'm, I'm giving you the science on, on this because I think it's very relevant it to is. this topic of physical. It is. So maybe there would be, uh, there would be first off, twice a year they do like full inventory sweeps, meaning that a group of people would come and count every piece of inventory that would be in the store. Generally after the store closed and it take like maybe six hours, it'd be like maybe 20 people that come through, count every piece of inventory we have. And that was a huge store. There was maybe 
300,000 units of of any medium in, in the store. Mm-hmm. Of the 300,000 shipping platinum units like uh, Britney Spears or Michael Jackson or Beyonce, we would get 1,000 pieces from Universal Music Group. Yep. Of that Universal Music Group, when we got that 1,000, this is what would happen. Probably of that 1,000, maybe we sell 100. Maybe we sell 200. All of those what we didn't sell 900 or 800 we get shipped back in exchange to universal so universal basically credit a credit so now our record store can say okay we know we don't sell any of that britney spears or beyonce or whatever that is right but we can sell bob marley we can sell this particular um Cat Stevens album, right? We can't sell this particular greatest hit, insane, sound. right? Yeah, clown posse because right. there's a lot of insane clown posse fans over here, Nelly fans or whatever. Right? We know what really sells. So to have a relationship with the record company, the our record store would sometimes have to buy what they were pushing, and then flip in exchange and buybacks, right? And discounts, right? So I would learn that. Yes, this is sort of platinum, but it's not platinum. And this would all get charged back to the artists in the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, yep. Yep. So it would be even times where like uh, things would climb the charts. Like I remember specifically that Gnarls Barkley album when it came out. We couldn't we couldn't keep that record in store. Okay. But we had an agreement with the company because it was an independent label. Where we really only could keep 10 in stock all the time. Those 10 would generally sell out same day. Right. Right. Same day. Same day. Same day. Till they got to a bigger distributor. And then by the time it got to the bigger distributor, nobody really wanted to the buy the shit no more. The was dead at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So this goes back to how you sell. And I can't even tell you like how many times I sold Eric B and Rakim or different things through Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, people would sometimes just venture into the record store wanting someone to talk about music. And what's funny, because I was kind of on the opposite side of that, when I came back from Atlanta, I was working with Handelman, mm-hmm. which is one of the bigger rack jobbers yeah. in the country. And if you're not familiar with what a rack jobber is or was, the rack jobber is who the company that put the music departments in your larger chain stores, mm-hmm. like a Target, Target mm-hmm. like a Walmart. Mm -hmm. Um, here in the Midwest, Kmart Mm -hmm. was um, very. And we didn't have that same relationship with the major labels that we were able to ship product back to them Mm -hmm. and get credit. Mm -hmm. So I'm in these backroom stores and we got all this uh, Willie Nelson and all that stuff and I got the Kmart mad at me you gotta get this stuff out of here and um, it it was just crazy Mm. you know Um, and and Handelman has since went out of business and that but that's kind of even today through digital it becomes one of those things where you really have to follow your product as an artist yep it teaches you that and nothing is better than the hand to hand sale at a show Mm -hmm. so the physical for me was always about the show the physical was never about trying to get it into a store because it's like I'm familiar with the store game exactly it'd be different if like if my homeboy Uncle P is working the register and it's his store then hell yeah everybody that walks in there it's like hey you checked out this this car right right buy this shit right you know but if you don't have a person saying that then it's It's one in a million it's one in a million. 
you know to just assume that a person's gonna walk in and buy the book by the cover is a hell of an assumption nah it is right you know what what's more than likely the best thing to have even at a show is the physical because even going by the whole concept of like man that was a great show let me let me go home and download this person's music when i get home right the probability of that happening is so rare even today if if and i i've yet to see this and i'm sure it does happen if in the middle of your set you say hey yo everybody stop add and follow me on spotify yeah and that's going to be less because a stream as you know we've kind of talked about nobody can even quantify what the value of a stream is right we know what a 99 cent sale is but to stop the show and say everybody buy my single for 99 cents right now we're going on the assumption that everybody knows how to get to the music marketplace that's connected to their phone right if they have an android they probably definitely don't know how right they have an iphone they're sort of more in the in, in the highway of doing it but have they set up an account with itunes music Most they have an active credit card with itunes music most haven't so now the minute that you ask them to buy your song, they're going to have to put in their credit card number, which do they trust that shit? Do they have an active credit card that they say, OK, this is my online purchase card? Right. You know, you, it's going on a lot of assumptions. Whereas that physical copy right there? I got ten dollars on me. That hand or you worked hand. out something with the bar where it's like, yo, sell them a Corona and sell them my CD. Let's package that shit for twelve dollars. Right. I did a lot of that over the time of me doing shows. OK, I probably hand to hand it. You know, uh, just looking at how many I've pressed up of most of my CDs starting in 2008 with my preaching to the choir all the way through to my last CD of If Detroit Were Heaven, I've probably hand to hand about 5,000 units. Okay. You know? Right. And that's a hell of a lot of units. That's... And a lot of times it's some of the same people re-upping and giving the copy to like, you know, I, I'm on a date with my girlfriend. Or I'm on a date with my boyfriend. So I'm giving them the copy. Yeah. Yeah. The physical works it does um it ties that consumer to you um back in the day you know one of the first things we did was take that artwork and look at it and see who did what on it mm -hmm. you know in this digital era you don't have any of that um merch and i i include the cd as merch that's exactly yes um that's where you make your connections to your fan base Yes. That's where you really become a a team. It's so easy to stream. You it, it's effortless to stream. You did it the exact right way with your live performances. That is the perfect time to make that transaction. Autographed. How many of those did you autograph probably? At my shows where I had more control a right. lot. You know, yep. when I had more control over it a lot. Did you uh how did you do it? Did you sit at a table after your set or before your set and and bust them open and autograph with form as they came or how did that process go for you? Generally I go from table to table. Okay. But like most people knew when they come to my shows because people always say like, Man, you a conscious rapper, you rap about consciousness, which is like I always thought that's a weird concept, but my show would have, you know, older people, younger people. It was an extension of the people I knew. So a lot of the people I knew would bring people to my show. So okay. I would go from table to table, thank the person that, right. you know, I knew I knew. And then I'd sign from there. Right. That's you know, dope. And, and thank from there. And looking at it now, uh, I think I'm going to do one more project. Okay. Probably next year. And with that project, I will have codes where people can download the music 
in different mediums for free. Okay. In the physical copy. Okay. You know, right? Because that's kind of where we got to go they with consume. It now. Yeah, yeah, you you want them to be able to um, enjoy the music, however or whenever they do, mm-hmm. and I think that's very important in your physicals to give them access to the digital realm for you. Yeah, and and it's it's way more of a memento now, <coughs> memento, and uh, as you say, it's merchandise. I, I did T-shirts when my FD trade were heaven. Um, I was surprised how good the t-shirt sold. But with it, I, I picked a good t-shirt material. I really thought of the design. You're kind of getting in another realm outside of music itself, I think, to sell a good shirt. Exactly. It should be more than just like, you know, a, Your a name black tee with, yeah, with yeah. The, my album and right. the release date. Right. Like, some people may wear that. But are they really going to wear that? I mean, with the title that you had, it, it, it's universal. You could wear that and not even be attached to the music. And that's kind of how I had to think about, like, the functionality and the utility of it. Right, right. But, but the the physical itself, as vinyl has made a heck of a comeback, and I've even seen cassette tapes. As last year, Ian Finkelstein, a jazz artist, he does uh, generally Tuesday nights over at Motor City Wine in Detroit. Uh, as most people know him as, like, that guy, the Jewish guy with the big afro. But that's my homie, and he he is black. But uh, he he's black, half black, half Hebrew. But that's my homie. Okay. But Ian Ian did a cassette tape, and it's under the same realm. And Ian's so young; Ian's maybe twenty four. I was like, man, you probably don't even have a cassette player, right? But did it's he? back to he did he did okay. he was like, but he had to buy one. But he didn't. He never grew up with with one. one, right? But it's one of those things where it's back to people weren't buying the cassette because they really want to listen as much as the nostalgia in the it's you know it's merchandise you you're right especially in hip-hop right now like over the last six months i've probably gotten at least about 10 cassettes yeah you know folks coming up to me and um handing it to me i'm like what i look like i got a cassette player or something you know and it's joking Hilarious. but yeah. it, it, it it's yeah. dope to after i got the fourth one I actually went in the basement and grabbed and pull, my cassette, out deck the cassette deck and was like, let, let me reminisce on these days, you yeah. know, hearing the warmth and the tape. The warmth. And, all and then that. also like the whole, as I think some music, the medium in which people listen to, and we talked about this with the MP3, the music plays a feel, play, plays a role in how you receive the music itself too. Right. Like when I think cassette, I think Illmatic. I think 36 Chambers yeah. because that's great cassette music. Right, right. I think The Chronic, yeah. even more so than Doggy Style. Because to me, Doggy Style was a better CD music than because like it was more clean and more smooth. Right. I like something a little right. gritty. Right. I like that that sound of the tape. Right. Then, you right. know, you know, putting that in and that feel, it's like man, I'm my thinking, chronic cassette tape snapped. I ran that boy so much, but that, but it, it feels, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, like right, you know, opening up with yeah. Dre Day, it feels like cassette music. Yeah, and you know what, man, I might been getting off topic, but when you think about that, the albums back then was a lot more cohesive. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was easier to uh, just let that boy play because it was work trying to fast forward and rewind, yeah. trying to find where you wanted on it. Those so. generally became the albums that people would say, eh, it was okay. Yeah. But it didn't stick with people like, obviously, The Purple Tape. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, right. Raekwon only built for Cuban links. 
uh, you can see our hip hop headness right here of that era. Like it's the medium has a whole lot to do as I think all eyes on me, which I had CD. It feels different in cassette. I, I know friends that had it in right. cassette. That album definitely in the double cassette. It feels different. Felt different. So it's better in the medium of a CD. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Definitely. Because you don't want to, you know, by the time you, you want to bounce around on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, so in, in thinking about how people receive it, that physical copy, when people actually do play it, if you give them a great experience, now you are differentiating yourself as an artist. As an artist. Definitely. It, it gives your fan base more to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, um, overseas, those mediums. Those other mediums are are still relevant. Very, you know, over very there, relevant, relevant, and the uh, vinyl really overseas never went away. No, it didn't. And vinyl itself, and it's a process. If you want to go through vinyl, first off, you have to master for vinyl. Master, yeah, I learned that the hard way for our first vinyl. Yes, you have to master for vinyl. So that's a different process because this goes back to some of our MP3 discussion. Right. The realm of which the spectrum of sound is played in vinyl expands further than what we're used to in the digital form. Right. So you have to go to a vinyling master to prepare your your project to be ready for vinyl. Yeah. And then after that, then you have to cut the master vinyl. Then after you cut the master vinyl, now you can mold more of that vinyl. Exactly. Too. Now, as it's become more prevalent, there are more opportunities, but vinyl creation is still very, very rare. We just had a, a new spot open in Detroit, didn't we? Yes, yes. What was uh, the name of that spot? Uh, Third Man Records? Th yep. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely connected to uh, Jack White and Jack White's operation. Uh, he has that connection between here and Tennessee. Uh, Jack White of the White Stripes right. has been big in creating a lot of vinyl and buying as much as he can. And we know for years, Archer Records, which Is actually, Archer still open? Archer's still open. Wow. But the thing about going to Archer, and this is, this is the... The demand, but the scarcity, which tells you that more technology will come for Archer. If you go to Archer right now, you may be, you have to pay them up front. This is last time, shout out to Nick Speed. You have to pay them up front for whatever you want to press. You still may have to wait 90 days. Right. That's right. how high demand vinyl is, but how rare it is. Right. And if you pump it through the right house, if you have the right marketing, you know, as Nick Speed has said, and he's pressed up a couple vinyls now, you can chart with vinyl yeah. a lot easier than you're going to chart through the for formula, uh, through like, I guess, through Spotify or anything mm -hmm. else, because Spotify and most of the digital houses right now, it's a lot of digital wars between iTunes, Spotify, right. uh, Tidal, yep. uh, how people are receiving these digital mediums. So because of that, it, it's and then also it's curated with all these playlists with places like Spotify that I'm not saying that it's false, but it's kind of like that whole it's like the record store again where <laughs> Britney Spears is shipping right. a million. Right. Meaning that when Beyonce's project comes out on title and then like two weeks later is released through every medium. Beyonce is going to have songs throughout her project that will end up on every playlist in Spotify. Right. It's just, it just is. It's just going to happen that way. What it is. 
you're competing against machines like that. <clears throat> right. That want their money back. Yep. And and it's it's designed to get Beyonce the money back. And I'm not taking away from any of her talent or any of her music abilities or whatever, but she will be given every opportunity where people will be able to purchase and receive music through the general forms to be sold. Right. Some of the, the the stones that are more on turn, like the vinyl market, the cassette market, the CD market, yeah. you can compete more because the industry itself is not putting its machine. That's not there. where the emphasis is, right? So now you're competing on a more playing level playing field with everyone in music, right? Yeah, you know. That's why, you know, if if you do your YouTube playlist, you're wondering like, damn, why this song always end up in my playlist and I ain't even trying to listen to this. Yeah. You know, so it the value, I think, of some of these other mediums and having physical can be the difference as an artist in, in building better relationships with your fan base and also making that extra money for a show. Yeah. Totally. I mean, if you're not getting paid what you feel like you're worth, have the products there for the people that are there yeah. to buy you. And that can supplement, you know, what you feel like you might should have gotten or you might leave there with a heavy payday. Yeah. You know, and, and that is very likely, you know, given the talent that you display on that stage. Yeah. And that hard press. And, and I'm just speaking for myself. It's been so much easier to get people to buy my physical copies than to push my digital copies because to buy digitally is a hard proposition. It, you almost have to be the type of consumer that already buys digitally, right. which is rare. Most people stream to get them to buy. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame the consumer. You know, no, technology no, no. has made it to where it's very extremely easy for them. You know, so artists, when you out there, you know, just understand that you want to make it easy for your consumer to consume your music, however way that is. And if you're not present in those different areas, you're missing out on some poss possible revenue. You know, and, and in this business, especially due to the fact that the biggest method of us discovering music is streaming now, you and it's so small yeah. of a slither of the pie that you get, you need all those other um, revenue streams, man. Yeah, when I found out how much money, uh, which to me, it's the largest song in a couple years now, but when I found out how much money for real made from streaming off a of happy and that was on uh what was that the frozen soundtrack or happy feet or whatever um, but yeah but still that that may have been the biggest song in to me i think that's been the biggest song in america or or worldwide yeah in the past five six years like you know yeah because it it, it it crossed so many genres it it did and i guess with Here's I used to hear people use that example all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, what Pharrell is not telling us, though, is what his contract situation is. Yeah. And who else is all dipping in that pie? Yeah. You know, um, don't think that whatever little amount. What did he say? I forgot what it he was. Made, like basically he walked away with about three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, something like that. From yeah. That right there, though, tells me because everybody with a brain knows that record did numbers. 
mm-hmm. you know. But now this industry is set up for the independent artists to get a bigger share of that pie. Pharrell's portion was so low because mm-hmm. he got everybody else eating off that stuff. True. You know, you drop that. Oh, that's pros for you pretty much. Straight up. You know, and with the streaming process, because that's the thing with it's the Wild West, like things are still being settled with where costs come from streams. I get paid more from different streaming services, sometimes international streaming services. I check my CD baby sometimes and I'm like, what the hell? And I check my TuneCore like, "Hmm?" you know, you know, I check my Spotify, see where things are coming. Like all of this all of what you get from streams is so different. Nipsey Hussle was big on talking about how much money you can get from a stream versus a sale. Yeah. And you, I, I look at it like this as an independent. Look at your streaming audience as that's that's icing on the cake. Right. You know, that's right. that's gravy. That's not that's not the meat and potatoes. That is that's what you'll get extra. Right. I would never set myself up as an artist to pursue that. Right. I would grow my direct fan base where I can make money off my direct fan base because nothing's better than going to a promoter saying, yo, I got 100 people that'll buy it. Right. Or furthermore, betting on yourself like I often do and doing your own show own and saying shows. that I know I can get 200 people to buy tickets mm-hmm. with 10 or $15. Yeah. You know, and, and the same with your hard copies. Know what your 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 fan base is, your core fans, you know, and print up for them. True. You know, and allow that revenue to get you some more product, mm-hmm. you know, so you can sustain your growth and always have that merch. True. And uh as I leave with this is we're we're near the end. Always I'm gonna keep pushing this concept on you. It's experiential. People are looking to buy an experience. Don't look at it like they're buying music or they're buying a CD. They're buying an experience. So how do you turn the purchase of this CD into an experience? And that's from every angle. And I haven't even done this all the time, but with my next project, I'm going to think this through. And when I say every angle, meaning even how they hand you the money. Right. The more of an experience you can give people, the better the sale that as they walk away, everything is definitely, definitely you've created a fan. You've created, um, another mouth mouthpiece for what it is that you do. That's exactly why you are creating an experience. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. You know, like here's something that, that I'm dropping by, by the time this gets released, it'll come out. I'm working with uh comedian, Josh Adams, and he's going to drop a comedy album. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell him we need to press up some CDs. I know he's going to look at me like I'm crazy, but uh, it's uh, first day in class. So he's it's based on like him being in grade school. Okay. But one of the concepts we came up with was picture day. So we're going to recreate picture day where people can buy different packages where they'll walk away with the, the project. That's and all dope. Of that. That's dope. You know what I that's mean? That's the experience. But that's, that's the, the experience. experience we're selling. Yeah. So it's less not saying we're taking away from the album, but it's everything. It's everything. That's what they're buying. People um, need to be stimulated in every different way they can. Yeah. You know, picnic this past weekend. uh, Right. You know, think about how many of those people really are Roots fans can name one goddamn Roots song. Yeah. Probably. 10%. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say maybe about 10%. Yeah. 
most of those people know about the experience. Right. And that's why they went to right. the Roots picnic. Yeah. And that's why festivals are Work. where it's at. There you is know? the experience they want. Like, the, do I want to see Beyonce at Coachella? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But am I going to Coachella for Coachella? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Beyonce is coming to Coachella way more than Coachella is pushing the concept. And this right. is really as a promoter what I've been pushing to a lot of I mean, you were there with it, but our partner that's whenever he visits back in town, Khan or Mayo, he gonna be on the show. But I be, I was always telling him we need to sell the experience because right. it's not about who's on the stage. It's about the whole concept the of whole what we concept. give. It. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why themed events tend to do well. If the Bec- theme is right. Yeah, if the theme is right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even if you get the word out, because you got stuff like I'm surprised that, you know, I, when I go to stuff, you know, I be streaming stuff and I, I go to events and I wouldn't have thought that so many people would be into it. Like I just um, streamed a silent disco mm. in the urban community. Mm. Now, you know us, we don't tend to adapt to newer things yeah. too well. Yeah. You know, it just seemed like just too much overboard. But, man, the place was packed. Wow. You know, it was very little promotion and all that. But it was just the theme of what it was. You know, mm. we're listening to headphones the whole party. And, and with the theme, and we're going to do a whole topic on this, but I do want to drop this on you. Be of the culture of that theme too. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're a, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a male exotic dancer doing the Christian hip hop night, that may not necessarily work for you. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? You I have mean, to do a theme based on what already is connected to the culture of how people, how you engage with society, right? And your right, fan base, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, something that I saw here in Detroit and it's been going on for um, some years, but um, the Derby parties mm-hmm. here in Detroit. Yeah. Like when I think of Kentucky Derby, I don't typically think, think of, of black Detroit. people. Not at all. You know, and to see the parties do so well here in Detroit, it's it's a theme, something that people want to do. Now, I think for that, it's just you get to wear different kind of clothes. I think that has a lot to do with it. And the people I know connected to that, they're those people that it's like, yeah, they want to wear big hats. Right. She she has something where it's like, yep, you know, I could see her doing that. Yeah, it is it's, it's it's interesting. So themes can be, you know, just be genuine to the theme, understand the theme that you're pushing, you know, and with that, people have an idea of what type of experience. Yes. That they're going to be walking into. Yes. You know, the, the more informed that the consumer can be, you know, the the better chance that you have in, in being a success. Certainly. In my opinion. Certainly. With that. Uh, get the people your contact. You can holler at me, Uncle P, DJ Uncle P. I'm at Detroit Rap. You can also catch me on Facebook where I deliver the knowledge on the daily, Uncle P313. Thank you, thank you. And as always, Kari Frazier, but Detroit is different.net. Detroit is different.net. Detroit is different.net. Thank you, thank you. Peace.